Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of April 23rd through the 25th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, we had a pretty crazy weekend this for movie world this past weekend. Um, obviously, we'll talk about Demon Slayer and Mortal Kombat, so facing each other down in the box office this past weekend. But we also had the Oscars happen, which I won't go too much into the Oscars uh, this episode. I'm saving that for my season finale of my Oscars Death Race podcast, which should be coming out in about a day or so. Uh, but suffice to say, it was uh, certainly quite an experience. Uh, personally, in order for me to complete the Oscars Death Race, I needed to binge about 12 hours worth of movies over the three-day weekend uh, in order to cross the finish line. Uh, I actually had plans to go see Godzilla vs. Kong this past weekend as my return to cinema, uh, but unfortunately I needed to cancel that in order to make the death race in time, which I did with about eight minutes to spare before the pre-show started. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about what I'm going to be- go back to theaters uh, later this episode. Um, that being said, the ceremony itself was also quite a lot to process. Um, in fact, trying to process it at all and also Recover from that movie binge is part of the reason why I have I, I have what I call a bit of a movie hangover. Uh, so, you know, that's why this episode is about a day later than it normally would come out. Um, the other reason is, if you, I don't know if you can tell, uh, but my allergies are starting to hit hard this year. Uh, so generally been feeling pretty crappy between the allergies and a bit of a knee injury, uh, which I got for some no reason, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, I just need a little bit more time and energy to uh, put my notes together uh, and record this episode more than usual. So hopefully... Hopefully, you know, moving forward for the rest of the allergy season, things will go on schedule. But forgive me if I'm an episode a day later here or there. Um, you may hear some congestion, so you know, let's just try to get into it so we can get this over with. Then, um, I guess that's one benefit of the pandemic, right? Like I didn't have to go outside at all last year. Um, this year, though, with a new dog and having to go walk him uh, every day, um, it's definitely uh, definitely not helping things there. But no, I still love him very, very much. Um, anyway, let's get to this week's uh, box office showdown, which, frankly, you know, everyone involved, I think, is a winner. In a super close showdown, Mortal Kombat and Demon Slayer Infinity Train both beat expectations. Uh, both of them made north of $20 million at the box office this weekend. Uh, I believe the estimates were somewhere for $15 to $20 million. Um, in, in the end, Mortal Kombat edged out uh, the total uh, of $23.3 million uh, in 3,073 theaters, while Demon Slayer came in at $21.1 million in 1605 theaters. Um, so let's dig into each of these with a day-by-day breakdown. So obviously our first place film is Mortal Kombat, uh, as we said, made 23.2 million, uh, excuse me, 23.2 million in 3,073 theaters. Uh, that's a $7,583 per theater average. Um, now off now, no, of the various HBO Max simultaneous releases, that's the third best per theater average so far. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong had north of 10K for their per theater average, and Wonder Woman 1984 had a 7.7K. Um, though this is still ahead of of Tenet's 7.1 thousand uh, per theater average. Um, it's Friday night total, uh, which I believe there were no Thursday previews, to my knowledge, since it released on HBO Max in theaters at the same time, uh, was at $9 million, with a 5% drop from a Friday to Saturday to $8.6 million, and then a 36% drop Saturday to Sunday of $5.5 million or thereabouts. Um, so that $23.3 million domestic total uh, added to the $27.8 million international revenue so far brings Mortal Kombat's lifetime total to $51.1 million. 
Estimated budget looks to be about $55 million. Uh, so things I think are looking pretty good for the video game adaptation. Uh, interestingly, this R-rated version actually made pretty much the exact same amount as the 1995 PG-13 version uh, without inflation adjustment made uh, you know, several decades ago. Uh, that one also made $23.2 million at the domestic box opening before going on to gross $70.4 million domestically and $122 million worldwide. Again, albeit on a smaller budget, um, and again, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, now, Mortal Kombat may have taken the domestic box office total uh, battle, but in many other ways, Demon Slayer was just as much, if not more, of a winner this weekend. Uh, I'm sorry I may be a little bit biased because I'm an anime fan, but just hear me out. So, as we noted, Demon Slayer made $21.1 million in 1,605 theaters. That's more than half of per that's just a little bit more than half of uh, Mortal Kombat's theaters, but it only made 10% less in total revenue. As such, Demon Slayer's per theater average comes in at $13.1,000. That even outstrips Godzilla's per theater average, that so definitely the strongest, um, you know. Uh, per theater average of the pandemic post-pandemic era so far. Um, in fact, going back to before the pandemic and even beyond onwards and Invisible Man's per theater average with the first film going back in time that would be that would be Sonic the Hedgehog um, with a, with about a 13K or, or a, a higher uh, per theater average than the 13K. Now, going by day by day, on Thursday and Friday, uh, the t combined totals come in at $9.5 million. Um, now, about $3.8 million of that was from Thursday previews and another five point seven from Friday. Um, so technically, I guess, higher than, than what Mortal Kombat opened at. Um, from there, though, the numbers dropped about 32% to, uh, to Saturday for $6.4 million and then another 19% uh, to $5.2 million for uh, Sunday. So as expected, the number of theaters Mortal Kombat and uh, took it over the edge, and you know there's no way to verify, but it seems that a lot of the pre-sale, uh, a lot of the uh, revenue here was from pre-sales as opposed to walk-ins. Um, and you know, generally, and now that being said, anime fans, you know, we've kind of learned over time that these uh, screenings can sell out quickly, so you know, pre-sales are definitely required here. Now, for speaking of comparables to other anime films, honestly, there's not much of a comparison. Um, you could look at the 1999 Pokemon movie, which is still the highest grossing anime film in the U.S. That had 3,043 theaters, so almost twice as many theaters. Um, it made three, $31 million in its first three-day weekend. Now, one other thing is that uh, most anime films usually release on Wednesdays, so Wednesday, Thursday, uh, in addition to the three-day Friday weekend. Um, so Pokemon made another $19 million on its first two days. Um, it would go on to make $85 million dollars in its total run um, but again that was on a opening free per theater average weekend of ten thousand dollars uh, more recently, you know, we have the Dragon Ball Super Broly film from 2019 that made $9.8 million in 1,247 theaters, uh, also, you know, uh, distributed by Funimation. Um, now, this is the three-day weekend total. The, you know, the, the, the Wednesday and Thursday numbers are another $10 million total. Um, it would go on to make $30.3 million over its uh, three-week run. Demon Slayer is already ahead of that pace. Um, and then similarly, uh, similar, you know, another Soden Jump film, um, film that came out recently was My Hero Academia, Heroes Rising in 2020. Um, in fact, one of the earliest episodes of this podcast covered that film. Uh, it made $5.8 million in 1,260 theaters uh, over its three-day weekend with another $3.4 million from the Wednesday release. Good enough for a two-week total of $12.9 million and fourth on that week's box office chart. But I believe, actually, if you look at the first My Hero movie, uh, My Hero Aka movie, and the second one as well, um, Demon Slayer's total already surpasses both of them combined. 
fine. So yeah, I think Demon Slayer is going to be the new de facto benchmark for anime films here in the States uh, with an estimated lifetime total somewhere in the 40, maybe even 50 million dollar range. So on top of all the other records Demon Slayer has broken, you know, highest Japanese opening ever, highest grossing Japanese film ever, highest grossing anime film worldwide ever, over Spirit of the Way, highest grossing anime opening here in the North America, among many others, um, and it also is the highest grossing R-rated uh, animated film of all time, and the highest grossing foreign language film uh, in the U.S., which beats out the 2002 Jet Li film from China, Hero, which made $17.8 million in its opening weekend, though somewhat suspect because Demon Slayer also had an English version as well as the Japanese dub version. But in any case, aside from all of those records, there is, or rather was, only one more hill or mountain for Demon Slayer to climb, the highest grossing film to debut in 2020. Now, up until this weekend, the 800 from China was a top dog with 450 million US dollars. However, with this release in the US, as well as, you know, continued strong showings in other markets, for example, Korea had the highest day for Demon Slayer, 88 days in due to a promo uh, with a 9.3x multiplier to date. Um, and it also recently had this strong showing in Latin America um, with Mexico, I believe, having 1.3 million opening uh, this past weekend. Demon Slayer now sits at 456.1 million US dollars with the rest of its North American run and ironically enough, China is still yet to open. Um, now that's 8.78 million tickets being sold in 19 countries so far. Uh, the top performing countries were in first place of course Japan with uh, 380 million US dollars and then Taiwan with 22.3 million, followed by the US with the 19.6 million so far, probably will surpass that by the time uh, you know this, this film wraps up, Korea with 15.7, uh, Thailand with 4.2 million, Hong Kong with 4.1 million, and Australia with 3.1 million, as well as you know the other countries as well. Um, so congratulations again to Demon Slayer and all involved for breaking this record. Um, in fact, I'll be adding my dollars to that total this weekend. Uh, Why couldn't see Godzilla vs. Kong this past weekend? A friend of mine is coming into town, and we're going to go see it in theaters this weekend now that we're both uh, fully vaccinated. Um, though, randomly, I guess, you know, just one last bit of Demon Slayer news. The PlayStation Video Store accidentally broke the street date and had it up for sale, um, though they've since pulled it from release. Um, so we'll see if this affects anything piracy-wise, but I don't think it will, uh, to be quite honest. It's not like it hasn't made the money, the $450 million, up to this point so far anyway. All right, uh, moving on to the, domestic, the rest of the domestic top five. In third place, we have Godzilla vs. Kong with $4.2 million in 2,856 theaters, 45% drop per theater average of $4,502. Domestic total to date is now $86.8 million with another $319 million uh, .5 from abroad, bringing its lifetime total to north of the $400 million mark at $406.1 million. Deadline reports its pacing at 6% above Kong Skull Island, 44% above King of Godzilla King of the Monsters, and 60% or 90% above the 2014 Godzilla, uh, with 20 more markets yet to release, including much of Europe. Um, also, while this fourth weekend we should be getting Godzilla vs. Kong leaving HBO Max and BTS will only for a while longer, so that might help numbers out a little bit more. Uh, in fourth place, we have Bob Odenkirk's Nobody making this $1.742 million uh, in 2,252 theaters, a 30% drop to a per theater average of 774. Uh, domestic total in week five sits at $21.6 million, with another 16.6 from abroad, with a lifetime total of 38.2. Now, I went out to three decimal places for Bob Odenkirk's Nobody because running out of the top five is Raya and Dragon Slayer with an eighth week total and a 9% drop of $1.741 million uh, in a 
1,819 theaters, a per theater average of $957. Its domestic total so far is $39.9 million, with a $61.9 million abroad, brings its total lifetime to just above $101 million worldwide. Domestic total box office for this week, buoyed by our two juggernauts here, uh, sits at $56.9 million, the strongest to date since the pandemic for sure. Uh, in the coming weeks, there's not too much to of note. Uh, I believe this week we have the 10th anniversary special of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, a special engagement, um, and then the Saw spin-off Spiral coming May 14th. But ne- the next real battle we'll see at the box office will be between uh, Disney's Cruella uh, and Paramount's A Quiet Place 2 on May 28th over the Memorial Day weekend. Now, we already touched on the international loose, talking about Godzilla and Demon Slayer, but a few more highlights. Uh, in Japan, there's currently a state of emergency in Tokyo and Osaka metro areas, which, while not fully shut down like this time last year, is still causing movie chains there to limit pre-sales to limit potential refunds, and I'm sure people probably won't be going out as much. So, you know, Golden Week is this coming week, which is traditionally a strong movie-going time in Japan. So we'll see how this muted situation compares to last year's and years prior. In any case, though, this past weekend in Japan, we saw the debut of the fourth film in the Rurouni Kenson live-action series, part one of the finale, uh, coming in second place this weekend with 4.9 million U.S. dollars behind last week's winner, uh, both of the of the Japanese and the worldwide box office, Detective Conan Scarlet Bullet, making $7.2 million this weekend. Uh, meanwhile, while Japan is closing down temporarily, Japan, uh, f- sorry, France has signaled that they will be reopening theaters starting May 17th with a 35% capacity with a goal of getting to 65% about a month from now and another up to 100% capacity by June 28th, just in time for Black Widow. Uh, hopefully, this means that the Cannes Film Festival uh, set in July will still be set to go on. Moving on to China, now... One of the things this past weekend at the Oscars is that uh, Chinese-born director Chloe Zhao became the first woman of color, uh, sorry, first, uh, I believe, yeah, the first woman of color to win the best directing film, um, and definitely the first Asian, the Asian woman to win the directing film, and also, um, you know, I think, I believe the only Asian man so far has been Ang Lee, um, and in this is her film, Nomadland won Best Picture. However, due to comments that she made about China uh, about a decade ago, plus, you know, there also be a documentary up for consideration about the Hong Kong protests, you're not going to see a lot of coverage uh, from Chinese state media uh, or even on social media due to censorship about the Oscars. Um, so, you know, Nomad's release in Chinese cities are going to be up in the air. Uh, it's still up in the air. We'll see if it's going to come out. I don't think it's likely at this point. Um, so, yeah, I think just kind of broadly speaking, we've kind of just been a trend, kind of China's drifting apart from Hollywood and not needing Hollywood. Obviously, we have Fast 9 coming up, and obviously big movies will still be coming out in China. Uh, but, you know, with films like Shang-Chi and Chloe Zhao's The Eternals coming out later this year, um, it'll be interesting, especially given the failure of, of you know, Crazy Rich Asians or Mulan or even The Farewell uh, to really hit it off in China. Um, yeah, we'll be really curious to see what how those films do and how... how uh, China and their growing uh, film industry, um, you know, deals with with Hollywood starting to come back and and, and take up more space again. Um, in any case, though, uh, ironically, despite what I just said, three of the top five of China's films this past weekend were from the Western Hollywood studios. Uh, in first place, we had like Japan and the rest of and and like last week again. Detective Code and Scarlet Bullet making four point seven million this weekend with a Chinese total of twenty five point nine million dollars. 
In second place, we have local Chinese film My Sister, making $4.6 million for a total of $128.5 million. Um, and in third place, we have the re-release of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, making $4 million this, uh, this past weekend, the same weekend total as The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which reopened uh, last weekend. Um, Fellowship of the Ring is also the number five film in China this weekend, making $1.3 million, with a total from this re-release of $8.2 million so far, which closes out the number four, the, the top five with at our number four film, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, winding down its month-long run in China with $2.95 million this weekend, reaching a total of $184.2 million US dollars. Now, with the domestic and international numbers done, what other headlines are there? I could talk about how much Mortal Kombat helped or didn't, depending on your perspective, HBO Max. But frankly, I think, you know, when I initially started this podcast, I definitely wanted to focus more on box office numbers, not so much streaming. Um, obviously, streaming has kind of become, one, kind of a point of survival for the podcast. I needed to talk about it since that's where all the movies were last year. But I think I'm going to try to avoid going into individual film performances on um, on, on the very streaming platforms since oh, this is a very, very slow week just because, you know, we have movies back again in the box office. That's what I really want to talk about. Uh, that being said, I, and also you know, streaming stuff in relation to new movie dates or cut things coming off the release calendar and moving to streaming instead. Um, that said, I will also say high-level numbers, kind of on a quarterly basis. Uh, for example, AT&T this past week reported that they are now 44.2 million domestics, HBO, and HBO Max users. I believe someone in 60 million range internationally, uh, worldwide, with 2.7 additional uh, added in Q1 this uh, this quarter, this past quarter. Again, not sure how many are actual new users. And how many are just activated users from their old HBO account. Not quite clear, which I guess is just what they're doing. Uh, something else streaming-related that, that's needlessly confusing. So last week, I think we talked about how Sony had made a deal with Netflix to stream you know, the Spider-Verse and all the other upcoming films from 2022 uh, onward. Um, for help with, you know, after theatrical and after VOD for help with financing. Well, apparently they also signed a deal for streaming rights after that period, uh, which would allow the Spider-Man and other related films to come over to Disney properties such as Disney Plus and Hulu, which also helps the FX relationship with Sony currently. Uh, more pressingly, though, we do have some more films, movie dates to discuss uh, within this coming year. Uh, in light of the Oscar season wrapping up, we already have the next Paul Thomas Anderson film, Soggy Bottom, set for a Christmas release starring Bradley Cooper, among others. This one's being distributed by MGM. Uh, we also have Coda, a Child of Death Adults, of Death Adults, um, the Apple acquisition from Sundance, uh, which is premiering August 13th in theaters as well as on their streaming service. Uh, currently, it's up against Free Guy, uh, Respect, and Don't Breathe 2, though I imagine this one will be limited at release here in New York and LA. Another Oscar hopeful seems to be Denzel Washington directing Michael B. Jordan in A Journal for Jordan with a limited release on from Sony on December 10th before a wide release December 22nd. Uh, Sony also announced a new date for another film, Escape Room 2, moving up from a January 7th, 2022 release date all the way up to July 16th of this year to compete against their own film Cinderella starring Camille Cabello, though I imagine the demographics for the two are very different. Um, this one also competes against Space Jam 2. 
Uh, Sony also moved their Lin-Manuel Miranda animated film Vivo uh, to Netflix this coming summer as part of Netflix's release of at least one new movie every week. In a trailer that they released yesterday that all, or earlier today that featured Kevin Hart's film Fatherhood and Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, also included was that Sony Chinese animated film uh, Wist Dragon that premiered in China earlier this year that Netflix picked up the rights for uh, with a June 11th release date, as well as the animated film Mitchell's vs. the Machines coming out this weekend. Now, while no set date is set yet, after the events of the streaming TV series Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, it looks like Marvel is moving forward with a fourth Captain America film, this time starring Anthony Mackie as the character um, the character formerly known as Falcon, now Captain America. So runner Malcolm Spellman is going to be working on the film. Um, I still haven't seen this one or WandaVision yet, but I've heard good things. I'll probably check them out at some point. Um, also, going back to the Oscars real quickly, I'm definitely looking forward to those directed by Academy Award winning winning uh, director is uh, Chloe Zhao uh, for the upcoming Eternals trailers. And finally, in the lead-up to Fast 9 in June, Universal is going to be hosting a number of free screenings uh, of starting this week on a first-come, first-served basis in select theaters. Uh, based on what I can see here in New York, it's a single showing per theater about 7 p.m. on Fridays uh, for that particular week. Um, with the first week, I believe, starting with 500 theaters and then wrapping up to at least 900. Um, this weekend starts with The Fast and the Furious, um, and then Too Fast, Too Furious next weekend, May 7th. Tokyo Drift, May 14th. The fourth Fast and the Furious on May 21st. Um, Fast 5 on May 28th. Fast and Furious 6, June 4th. Furious 7, June 11th. And then Fate of the Furious on June 18th, before the June 25th release of F9. This notably skips the Hobbs and Saw spinoff, um, so it'd be a fun way to drive up hype if you see what I did there. Um, I'm actually probably going to be going in-depth into the Fast and the Furious movies um, for another podcast of mine, Filmography and Focus. So yeah, so it be a good time. Uh, anyway, Fast and the Furious is a good way to segue into the final uh, bit of news I wanted to cover. There was a study from UCLA uh, entitled the Hollywood Diversity Report saying that films with diverse casts, about 41 to 50 percent of minorities within the cast, uh, took the highest median growth with films with only 11 or percent or fewer minority made the least. Um, obviously, this is based on 2020 numbers, uh, which there weren't a lot of films to actually pick from and all things considered, but you know, you have Bad Boys from Life, Birds of Prey, and Onward, it did especially well. Um, looking at streaming films, ratings were a bit were best for more diverse films, with only one of the top ten. A film called The Wrong Missy having less than eleven percent diversity. Fil- while films like Hamilton, Extraction, Onward, The Old Guard. Christmas Chronicles 2 and Project Power all had more than 40% minority casts. So we'll see if films like, you know, Fast Night, which has a very furious, uh, a very diverse cast, um, will, you know, keep up this trend in 2021 as we come back to theaters. And with that, I think it's a wrap for this episode. Sweet my ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on the very, or at the very least tell a friend um, any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which lets me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on as well. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in this show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin Mackley. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmission.io. Editing production proof inspired by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>